Oh man, that gets me all fired up, that song, huh? It's like we're leading the troops. We're on a march. We are the kingdom of God. <laughs> okay. So turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to continue in our look at Jonah, the third um, part in this series, um, the six-part series. And um, one of the teachings is going to include Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus actually speaks about Jonah. So we're going to learn from Jesus as well. But this is the third of six messages. And I lost my place. Oh, there we go. Okay. And we come to that, what Jonah is actually known for in verse 17 of chapter 1. The famous fish. And now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I feel like my eyes are in darkness. There we go. That's better. So Jonah here was in this fish. And this wasn't just merely a fish. This was like the fish. The fish of all fish. Um, In other words, what I mean by this is he wasn't of a variety of fishes like one of the megalodons of old or even something current that perhaps could swallow up a human like a blue whale Um, This was a special fish, uh, unlike any other fish that ever existed on the planet Earth. Those are all of a kind of fish, and they have their purpose, perhaps in the food chain of fish, or in their ecosystem, or whatever their purpose is. Natalia could probably tell you all about that. I can't, but fish have a purpose. But this purpose of this fish was different. Notice in verse 17 that the Lord had prepared a great fish. The idea here that the Lord had prepared this fish is that he actually had a different purpose in life. No no fish was designed specifically like this fish for the sake of actually swallowing up a human being that is drowning in in an ocean and lead him back to safety on the shores. But this fish was prepared by the Lord for this occasion at this moment in time. And he's unique. I don't believe there was other fishes born among fishes like this fish. He seems to be one of of his own. Um, And just a brief note on miracles, because this is a miracle, right? We agree that this is a miracle. And Jonah is kind of a fishy story which has some things for us that are hard to swallow. And, and as a result, the, the critic has said of this, that this is a whale of a tail. <laughs> but not us, right? We, we actually can be tempted to help this story out a little bit and make it more plausible, more reasonable to the skeptic to explain how a man can survive in a fish. But the reality is men can't survive in fish. And even there are some legends of people surviving in fishes, but not three days, right? 
That's impossible. That's impossible. You can, there's no oxygen. Among other things. You're in stomach acid, right? But this is a miracle. We don't want to explain it other than that. Um, men can't survive in fish, and this is impossible. But we believe that Elijah's axe floated. Is that a miracle? Do axes float? Does manna fall down from heaven? It did in Moses' day. Did people walk on water? Jesus did that. We believe in miracles. We believe in a miracle. If you don't believe in the miracle of the resurrection, you cannot be saved. That is our hope. That is our conviction as Christians. So we believe in miracles. What we find here, though, is Jonah is on a descent down. God had told him to go up to Nineveh, northeast. But Jonah went down. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship that was sailing off down to Tarshish. Then we find him down in the bows of a ship, and finally we find him sunk down rock bottom in the belly of a whale. None of us Christians will likely ever go this low physically in life. And perhaps not spiritually either. Jonah was in a really, really low spot. And Jonah has been foolishly fleeing from the presence of God. And yet, we saw last week, Jonah should have known better. He was a priest. He was a prophet in Israel. But it really doesn't matter how many seminary degrees you have or theological books you write. The, the rebellion of the human heart will cause you to do all kinds of foolish things. And we found Jonah doing that very thing. He was, he was running from God. God had said, go east. Jonah went west. And he actually gave of his time and his resources as an energy in defiance of God. It said in chapter 1, verse 3, that he paid the fare, which would have been a lofty price. He seems to have sold his belongings. He was, he was out. He was heading for Tarshish, and he wasn't coming back. And this is what, the, what rebellion looks like towards God. He was fleeing from God. And Jonah really makes me scratch my head and, and kind of wonder about this man. Was this... I mean, he's, he's one of the prophets of the Old Testament. Was this guy a man of faith? What do we think about Jonah? He seems to have... He seems to be a, a guy driven by emotions and anger... And sadness, we find him throwing almost a temper tantrum in, in chapter 4, like a toddler. <laughs> and, and he seems to have no love or concern for the lost. He's just an angry, bitter person in chapter 1. But we see here in chapter 2 a turning point for Jonah. I actually think Jonah is a sincere man of faith. And we're going to see that. Christians really can't flee from the presence of God for long. And so from this point, point forward, we see that God redirected Jonah and put him back into obedience and put him back into that life of faith. Specifically, he brings Jonah to his knees in prayer. Okay, We're going to examine the prayer life of a Christian who is facing a great crisis. Jonah is 
again, he's at rock bottom. He's in in the depths. He's in the under the sea, inside of the belly of a whale with no way out. And his Christian instincts kick in here. It's his faith instincts. He literally cries out to God in prayer. And though we see Jonah has some tremendous failures, we also see that Jonah is a man of faith. Jonah has a deep, loving, abiding relationship with God that becomes apparent in chapter 2 here. And we're going to learn from this great man of faith who's facing a trial, how we are to face trials through prayer and in faith. So, four essential components of prayer in your outline. We're going to look at four essential components of prayer. Or you could say kind of four pointers in our own prayer life, how we ought to emulate the, the prayer life of Jonah. Let's read his prayer. Picking up in verse 1 of chapter 2, And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed in, closed around, around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let me pray real quick as we look further into this. God, uh, we just thank you for this model of prayer. Lord, we want to learn how to pray. As, as Christ's disciples came to him and asked him, how, teach us how to pray, Lord. We come to you now. We ask you to teach us how to pray. In Christ's name, amen. So what is prayer? Psalms 116.1 I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplication, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Prayer, first, is an acknowledgement of God's presence. We see that essentially in in the life of Jonah. He was fleeing the presence of God was the theme of chapter 1. And here he acknowledges God and he calls out to him in prayer. And when you're not praying, you're actually acting like an atheist. You're actually acting as if God does not exist. Consider how foolish it would be if you're despairing financially and your friend was a financial advisor and yet you'd never reached out to him. 
Or consider if you had legal troubles and you were in despair legally and you never called out to your friend who was an attorney. You, you, it's as if they didn't exist. Or a medical doctor, you're, you're, you're in despair medically and you never reach out to your friend who's a doctor. God, he's on your contact list. You have a, a direct line to him. You could call out to him in prayer. It's an acknowledgement of God's presence. Second, it's, it's one-way communication. Psalms 116, again, he says, He hears my voice. But guess what? We don't hear God's voice. I mean, the prophets did hear God's voice, but we don't expect that we're going to hear God's voice when we pray. It's one-way communication. It's not... It's not meditation where we're actually having a conversation with ourselves in our head, which isn't bad always to do. I mean, I hope not, because I do it probably more than I should. Um, but it's, it's, it's communication with God. And it's not a conversation. God's not speaking back in prayer, but we are directing our prayers to Him. And so it's an acknowledgement of God's presence. It's a one-way communication. And third, prayer is an instinct, I think. Prayer is an instinct of a child of faith. Who do infants cry out to when they're hungry or they have a rash or they have a dirty diaper? it's, It's instinctual for them to cry out to their mom, right, who is able and capable of handling and solving all their problems. Moms, that's what they do. They solve all problems, right? But it's an instinct, like a child coming to their parent. Um, My mother-in-law gave me a great gift one day. I I saw her model this. Um, We had a phone call that my father-in-law was had a had a heart attack and so we went to visit the hospital and when we arrived I found my mother-in-law in the waiting room and at the same time as my wife and and I came into the waiting room we found my mother-in-law praying and then the doctor had come in and told us John's going to be fine okay and I remember at this moment she literally took her eyes off that doctor and she just looked up to God and said, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. That's, that's the instinct I'm talking about. That's the, that's the faith I'm talking about. That's the faith that a child of God has towards their father. That was a precious gift to me. And so that's what I'm talking about. This is the, it's an instinct of faith. It's instantaneous. It's impulsive. It's kind of your gut reaction as a Christian. We trust in the Lord. So Jonah, I think, models this kind of prayer life. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a prayerful man. And in verse 7, he says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. When my soul fainted in me. That's the title of this message. I titled it, When My Soul fainted within me. That's the instinct of prayer. We see also in Jonah this authenticity. What is authenticity? 
it's to be real, it's to be plain, it's to be understandable. It has no pretense or uh, deception behind it. Jonah was just authentic and he was real with God. Um, he describes his experience in detail. Um, just kind of like when you get home and you t- try to recount the events to your loved ones about your day. That's what Jonah seems to do in his prayer here. At first, he says in verse 2 that he was cast into the deep. He was thrown overboard by the mariners. And then second, he says, The flood compassed about me, and all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. So you see, he's reflecting on his experience and he's recounting all the details of this terrible storm and what it felt like to be in the waters as the, as the waves crashed over him. He felt like he was in a washer machine. He was being tumbled about. Big wave riders and surfing, they describe this experience and they'll say, sometimes say, it felt like I was being torn limb from limb. Right? He's being thrashed about in the depths. Um... The depths closed me round about. And so with all the commotion, and this is in verse 5, with all the commotion of the seas, he probably didn't even know that he was being swallowed up by a whale, but he describes this experience as, as the, the depths, they closed in about me. And he talks about the seaweed that had wrapped around his forehead. <laughs> he came. Have you ever come up out of the ocean and you're like, why are... Why is seaweed sticking out of my shorts right now? Well, he had it wrapped around his face, right? He, he describes the details of this commotion. And Jonah is literally just conversing with God. And he's elaborating on the details. And he's giving him a play-by-play. And he's processing his experience with God. In very plain language. This is what prayer look like. looks like. Likewise, you know that God knows all the details of your life. He, he peers down from heaven and He watches all the events of your life. But we learn from this that we are also to speak in this kind of language. We are supposed to be authentic and real and describe and process these things with God ourselves. I want you to notice too that Jonah was in touch with his emotions. He was authentic about his feelings. Again, later in chapter 4, we're going to see him throwing a temper tantrum with God and complaining to God. He was an emotional guy. And, and I do want to give a word of caution here, okay? We don't want to be emotional Christians. We're not, we're not drama queens. Okay. Um, you know, we're not just going to just pour out our sob story on everybody that comes to us and we don't... Um, we don't want to be known as dramatic people. You know, the most empathetic people in this world, they really can't handle everybody else's baggage and their trauma. I know I can't. There's only so much I can take, and that's why I have to ration my news intake, because it's too much. I can barely deal with myself, let alone everybody else in the world. You ever heard that saying, save your drama for your mama? That's not even really true. I, I've come home from work and talked to my wife about her day and she goes and, and tries to describe all the details. She looks like she just ran a triathlon. 
And she, and when I, I try to get to the bottom of what's going on, she's like, tells me the story, and I still don't get it. And she goes, honey, it was just an emotional day. The kids were a wreck. <laughs> right? Moms, is, they're the most empathetic people in the world, but they can't even handle all of our problems, can they? No. What did Jonah do here, though? Jonah, he poured out his, he poured out his emotions where? He poured out his emotions to God. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have prayer chains and go about and talk to other Christians and ask for their support in prayer and also be emotional at times with other people. There's a right time to be emotional. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm saying that we bring these first and foremost to the one who actually has enough in his reserve to handle all of our problems. Right? We go to the source first. This is not something I've learned to do, by the way. I, I like to take control of situations. This isn't my immediate impulse, but I think it needs to become that. So Jonah, he pours out his heart to God. He says first, in, chap- in verse 2, I cried by reason of mine infliction to the Lord. He's telling God his feelings. But he's not just telling God his feelings. He's crying out to God about his feelings. And he's not just having a bad day. He says, I was afflicted. I was afflicted by you, God. In verse 2, he describes it. He says, out of the belly of hell. In other words, you know, Jonah was not actually in hell at this point. He was inside of the fish. But he says, this was a hellish experience, God. He's, he's, he's using metaphor, he's using figurative language to, to describe how distressing this situation was for him. The earth with her bars was about me. In verse 6, he, he describes this experience as being like in a prison. And he says, the earth with its bars was before me forever. He had a, he had a lifelong sentence as he felt. And he expresses his deep longings to see the temple in verse 4. Jonah wanted the temple. Which raises the question, what temple is Jonah referring to? And commentators are split on this. He could be referring to, as Psalms 11.4 refers to heaven, the temple of heaven. He could be talking about, I want to go home to be with you, God, and be saved once for all. Psalms 11.4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So perhaps he's actually hoping to have find that final resting place in heaven. Um, but it could also be uh, Jerusalem that he speaks of, the Solomon's temple that existed in his day. He could be speaking about, I want to go home, God. I want to go back to that life of faith. I want to go back to your calling as a priest and a prophet. I want to follow you again, Lord. The, the, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, the temple, which was the symbol of the unique presence of God, a place that was called a house of prayer. I want to go back to that place, God. I want to go back to your presence. I tend to think he was actually talking about heaven. He seemed to be at his wit's end. He seemed to be 
accepting his fate here and he's ready to die. But the point I want to make is that God can handle your emotion. And that prayer is actually being authentic and real with God and bringing your emotions and bringing your struggles, bringing your crisis before Him. I would encourage you not to immediately go to the texting prayer chain or call somebody on the phone, but to lift up a heart of faith to God in prayer. To start there. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. 1 Peter 5.7 Cast all your cares upon Him for He cares for you. We have an open line with God. An open invitation. He wants to hear our cries. So be authentic. Be biblical. Our second point in our outline. Have you ever started your day with good intentions of being a prayer warrior? And you said, I'm going to get disciplined and I'm going to start out the day right and I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And then you sit down and you put on a warm blanket and your mind goes absolutely blank. Or am I the only one that does this? <laughs> I do that. I need some help. Um, the Bible gives us a primer to paint our prayers onto. Or you could say the Bible is a canvas in which we can paint our prayers onto. Um, especially the Psalms. The Psalms is like a prayer handbook in teaching us how to pray. <laughs> so, you can simply do this, okay? You can read a phrase in the Psalms and then apply it to yourself and apply it to others, your loved ones, people you want to pray to or pray about. Okay, let's look at Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, to get an idea of what I mean by this. So we, we have Psalms 1.1 1, 1 and um, we want to apply this to ourselves and to uh, others that we love. So we might say something like this. Okay, We read this passage. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. just a few moments thinking on this passage you might just say something like this Lord I want to be this blessed man I want to be surrounded by friends that encourage me and embolden me to follow you and walk in faith Lord would you make me like this man that meditates on your word day and night Lord I want my children to be like this man I want them to be blessed. I want them to be rooted in your word and to be meditating on your word day and night. God, would you please bless my children in this way? Lord, I want my church, I want my friends at church to be grounded in your word and not 
moved about by every wind of doctrine, and I want them to have good influences on their life that would encourage them in the Lord. Lord, would you bless Danning? Would you bless Sean? Okay? That's, that's the, you use the, 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 the Word of God itself as a primer and a backdrop for how we can pray. Um, perhaps you pray for your wife or your husband or your co-worker. Let's try another one in verse 3. He is like, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. God, please make me strong. Please make me to grow as a tree that's planted along a saturated soil of a riverbank to grow up and be a blessing to all that my that my your grace would expand out in my life and bless others that the the birds of the air can come and perch in the shade right um, god make me that kind of person make my kids that kind of person make my church and my friends and those i love these kind of people this is how we pray we pray according to the precepts and the promises of Holy Scripture. That's what it means to pray biblically. To be biblical. Flip back to Jonah. Jonah's prayer is painted on the canvas of a lifetime of biblical meditation. And I, I'm not going to walk you through all of this, but Jonah didn't have the Bible inside of the whale with him. And yet, scholars note that he makes perhaps 9 to 12 allusions to the Psalms throughout this prayer. Not always a direct quote, but sometimes he picks up on a theme of the Psalms or an implication of the Psalms. For example, verse 6 I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. This seems to be a reflection on Psalms 116.3 where it says, The pains of hell get hold upon me. The pains of hell get hold upon me. Or maybe a more direct quotation. Verse 3 you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Psalms 42.7 All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Okay, so, so he's, he's actually quoting the Psalms and he's reflecting on the Psalms. He's a man that's filled with Scripture. He, I don't know how much Scripture he's memorized, but... He seems to have it in his heart. This is part of his his meditations. This is part of his prayer language. And he he weaves these scriptures in and out. Uh, I don't know that he's always doing a direct quotation, but you've heard godly men and women pray before. And they, they, they weave these promises of God. They're laced into their... And into their prayer language as they pray, and they actually apply these things to things in our day, right? So that's what he seems to be doing here. And Jonah has gone from an unbiblical, emotional 
man who's running in rebellion from the presence of God to having this biblical perspective. (laughs) His whole mind shifts and changes. Notice um, in verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep. But who had cast Jonah into the deep? The sailors had, but he understood something about what? God's sovereignty. Jonah was here biblical about God's. He was putting these things into a biblical framework. He was putting his experience and his emotions into a biblical framework. He understood the sovereignty of God. He says, Thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Jonah sees that it was God who was chastening him. And so his, his emotions had got a be- the best of him in chapter 1. And he knew about God's omnipresence and he was yet he's running away from God. But here he comes back and he, his meditations upon who God is from the Holy Scriptures, they inspire this prayer. And they, they change the course of his life. They change his perspective on his trials and they change his thinking. And so we're to remember God God's word and we when we pray let the scriptures shape the way you think about your trials and shape the way you think about your crisis don't let your feelings take over otherwise you'll go deep into despair and you'll start to blame others for your situation and you'll start to blame God for your situation rather than acknowledging who God is understanding his tender love and care and his sovereignty and so we need to know our Bibles. That's kind of a, a prerequisite to prayer. <clears throat> Third, acknowledge your sins and acknowledge God's supremacy. Um, for the sake of time, we're just moving through this kind of quick, but Jonah seems to have a change of heart. He, he acknowledges his, his sins before God. In chapter uh, one, 2, verse 8, he says, Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah's just done a 180 here. His whole perspective has changed. He acknowledges his sins. Um, he's reflecting upon the, van- the vanity of his decisions that he had made. Um, he had given way to an evil heart of unbelief. And um, he attended to the suggestions of a vain mind. That's what sent him on the run. That's why he was forsaking the Lord. That's why he's forsaking the promises. The, um, his emotions had gotten the best of him. As he considered this great trial that he was to face, going in and facing his, these deplorable Ninevites, the emotions got the best of him and he, and he abandoned God. But here we see him reflecting on that and he calls it vanity. I was vain. And then he acknowledges the supremacy of God. He's supreme over all other gods. I think this is um, not the major portion of his prayer, but other, other prayers we can see in Scripture, we find this pattern where we, we acknowledge God's supremacy. We acknowledge His attributes. Um, we adore 
our God. We speak with him to him with reverence and honor. Um, you know, when you go into a courtroom, you don't go to the judge and go, "Yo, bro, what's up?" You, you speak with a certain level of respect and and dignity towards the person that you're addressing. Will you you come into prayer, you're coming into the courtroom of the Supreme Court of not of this nation, but of the entire world. This is the judge of the living and the dead, the judge of all time. You stand before God in reverence. And you begin, your honorable judge in the courtroom, in a human courtroom, here we, we begin with the attributes of God. And we say, God, you are supreme. You are above all other gods. You deserve respect. You deserve honor. You are the self-sufficient, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-wise God that can, that can handle any of my trials. Um, I would encourage you to start, perhaps, your prayers rather than seeking the hand of God, but seeking the face of God. Acknowledging who it is that you come before. So Jonah acknowledges the supremacy of God. He, he acknowledges his sin. He says that he had forsaken God's grace and his mercy. And this seems to be uh, him repenting. Finally, we see the, praise, the praises of Jonah. Um, our, our prayers fundamentally are praises to God. Sometimes life is actually very perplexing. And we don't know our way out. And we don't even know necessarily how we're going to, what to pray for in any given situation because we don't know what the solution is, right? Um, this isn't the best illustration, um, but one time I kind of was in a perplexing situation and I thought I was a goner. <laughs> uh, I had gone to Hawaii and visited my friend Jason and we went to this place called the Toilet Bowl on the on the beach and it's it's a little cove about 30 feet in diameter carved out into volcanic rock and the waters would come and flood into this area and you'd go from about two feet of water up to 10 feet within 30 seconds or so and the water just rises up and so you can sit inside this bowl and just kind of go up and down and it's really fun well 15 feet back on the lava rock there's this um, there's these underwater caves and this there's this percolating water that bubbles up a hole inside the the lava rock and I saw these kids and they would wait and time it and wait till the water starts to percolate they would jump into the hole and swim out into the into the into the toilet bowl so you had to time it right though because the water has to be coming in and then as it flows out if you don't get to the end of the cave it's too late so I decided to try this <laughs> like a dumb 19 year old and my shoulders were twice as wide as these kids so I thought I, oh, this was it but I could see the light I jumped down and immediately got stuck and I, I think they probably saw my feet kicking like this at the top and I squirmed my way through and I, I made it out safely <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it wasn't my time. That was all cut up. But 
you know, some there's there's times where we just don't know our way out. We we had, don't see how we're gonna get out of a situation. It's, it's perplexing to us. Jonah was in that kind of situation. Can you imagine being at the the in the guts of a whale, of a fish? No, he didn't even have a light to swim for. The weeds were wrapped around his face. He was perplexed, and he didn't even know how to pray. Jonah didn't know that this fish was gonna spew him up on dry land, did he? He thought he was going to drown down there. But Jonah never makes a single request to God in this entire prayer. I think that's noteworthy. Jonah was seeing the end, and he just calls out to God in gratitude and worship and praise. You know, prayer, I don't think, is ultimately about fixing all of our problems or solving all of our problems in life. I actually am perplexed about the day and age we live in. I don't know how to pray about the United States of America right now. (laughs) You feel perplexed? Do you even know what to pray for? There are things we should be praying for, I, I no doubt about. But I just want to praise God. I, I will go through whatever it is with you, God. You are, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy. I, I will go down with you in your presence all the way, touching the door of the bottomless abyss, and I will praise your name. That's what Jonah does here. So the attitude of faith is one that praises God. In fact, it is those greatest prayers of faith, I think, that just come out of a heart overflowing with praise and gratitude towards God, especially as we face a crisis. In the end, though, we will be with God in eternity. Jonah actually expresses his great hope and joy in salvation. In verse 10, No, verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. So, I'm going to conclude that Jonah has given us a model for prayer for us to follow. Um, And this is a good prayer, but it's it's not the only good prayer in the Bible. There's lots that we could follow after, but I think it shows us kind of a unique dimension here about a, a guy in a very difficult, trying situation. I hope that I've given you some pointers on for your own prayer life. Um, I admit I struggle to pray. It's not like my... I get frustrated sometimes. I, I think this this idea of um, reading through the Psalms has been su- really helpful for me personally, and I, I hope that that can help you as well. Um, my instincts are to be a problem solver, but it, our instincts need to become to, to be to come to the Lord. We, we can't solve these things on our own. He's, he's our great hope. This is what a life of faith looks like, to be in prayer. All right, I'm going to close our time with prayer. God, we thank you, Lord, that um, you have your eye of watching over us. Your, your careful, loving fatherly cares always before us Lord that we can come up to you as Jonah did Lord and cry out Lord with gratitude with all of our emotions with all um, of 
the details of our situation, God. And Lord, you are competent, you are capable to handle all of these things. I thank you for this model we have, Lord. I ask that you would help us to grow in our prayer lives, to hope more fully in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, to be resolved even to the end, Lord, to, um, to worship. We thank you, Lord, for this time in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.